What's going on, people? NBC Arlington, it is good to be with you all tonight. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we'll be. Last week, we just finished up a series on the conscience, and I pray that that series was helpful to you. And uh, tonight, uh, we are going to do a standalone sermon, uh, particularly for uh, the congregation here at NBC Arlington. But before we get into it tonight, I just want to give you guys one quick announcement related uh, to our COVID restrictions that we've had over the past uh, year at uh, NBC Arlington. So um, along with the state loosening restrictions, uh, we saw fit that amongst um, really all of our gatherings that we're going to begin loosening some of the restrictions too. And so starting when we gather again on June the 6th, um, there are going to be some um, things that we do a bit differently. Uh, first of all, there'll be no registration. You can actually just come. We're not worried about capacity here. Um, also, as well, we're, we're going to stop doing temperature checks at the door, and masks will be optional. And so uh, I'm excited about what this means, but also as well, we want to be sensitive uh, to people who, for whatever reason, you feel the need to continue to wear a mask. Um, we're going to have a section uh, for you guys here in the auditorium where um, only masked people will be in. You, you'll be able to be socially distant in that section. And as the state is opening back up, we want to do this and begin calling people to gather uh, all for the glory of God. And so if you have any questions about that this week, feel free to email me. I would love to talk with you and help you uh, navigate that. Um, and as well, um, in the coming days, um, our church is beginning to move forward. And as we move forward, um, our church is operating under uh, three headings. So spring is a period of reopening. Uh, we want to begin to open up the church and invite people back in order to experience our community together in the gathering of believers on Sunday mornings or, in our case, Sunday afternoon. But then in the summertime, that's really going to be a period of us of rebuilding. Uh, we'll be spending this summer rebuilding ministries and gathering volunteers and gathering leaders in order to make the Sunday experience and also our, um, our worship experience and our outreach experience uh, of one in which um, was the case before we, um, before we left uh, because of COVID. And then in the uh, fall, it's, gonna really, it's really going to be a time um, of uh, relaunching. And this is a, a side period for us because our campus will be launching in a new location. And uh, it's going to be really exciting. We hope to do all these things for the glory of God and for the good of the community that we've been um, called to. But tonight, before we dive into any of this, the sermon that I have for you tonight is really aimed at really those three things I just told you. The aim of this sermon tonight is to help you see the transformative power of exactly what we're doing right now. The transformative power of gathering together as God's people. So before we dive into it tonight, I want to pray and then we'll get into it. So let's pray. Father, there is absolutely nothing or no one better than you. Forgive us as people for trying to steal the glory that belongs only to you. I pray that whatever we say, think, or do, that we do it all ultimately for your glory, including what we do tonight. Father, I pray for all of us in the room that we will understand and know that we are active participants in worship right now. We are worshiping you in order, we are worshiping you by sitting beneath your word with rapt attention, refusing the distractions around us, trying to understand and hear what you might be saying to us. 
And Father, we, I pray that tonight, whatever you might be saying to us, that we will commit to do it. Help us to hear you tonight and respond in faith and obedience. God, we need you. Uh, I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, the great philosopher Mike Tyson once had an amazing quote. He was once answering questions about an upcoming opponent. If you don't know who Mike Tyson is, uh, I guess he was a philosopher, but but what he's uh, mainly known for is boxing. I don't know if you ever watched a fight with Mike Tyson in the 90s. I used to say that I would never pay for a Mike Tyson fight because you never got your money's worth because he was knocking cats out in the first round. Like, I would be highly upset if I paid all that money. But he was being interviewed, and someone was telling him about his opponent's game plan against him. He was saying, man, your opponent, really, he has the key to beating you. And Mike didn't miss the beat. Mike gave this great phrase. He said, listen, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. That's what he said. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And Mike was talking about boxing, but Mike didn't know that that phrase would preach. Because let me tell you today, all of us have a vision about how life is going to go and how we'll all live. But let me ask you today, what happens when there's resistance? What happens when life doesn't go the way that you thought it should go? What happens when that that picture of life that you envisioned, that it is not happening the way that you wanted it to happen? What happens when life punches you in the mouth and you're dazed, you're confused, your eyes are welling instinctually with tears? The question that we all should have is, are we going to stay the course? Are we going to stick to the plan? And the one thing I appreciate about Hebrews is the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of, of, of Christians whose jaws hurt. That life has hit them with a left hook. And here's the context. The writer of Hebrews is writing to a people who converted from Judaism to Christianity. They are worshiping the one true Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of that, because they, because they converted from Judaism to Christianity, they fell on hard times. See, these were people who were maligned and mistreated, all because they placed their faith in Jesus, and they were in a moment in which they were tempted to give up. They were tempted to throw in the towel, tempted to go back to their old way of life. And in this letter, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who this is, but this writer is encouraging them to stay the course, to not give up. And the way that the writer does this is by giving them a picture of the beautiful Jesus Christ. I love how the writer does it. The writer isn't hitting them with the try harder strategy. He knows that doesn't work. The writer is reminding them of the beauty of who Jesus is and what he has done. And he helps us with this. We are able to endure life when we realize that Jesus Christ is worth it. He's better than anything that you might be tempted to give your life to. Like the song that we just sang, he's saying he's bigger than we think he is. And one of the things that's incredibly important for us to do, if we hope to keep this vision of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done fresh in our minds, fresh in our hearts, one of the things that is incredibly important for us to do in order for us to live a life of flourishing and joy and peace, even when situations are ideal, is this. It's to gather together as the people of God. This gathering that you are sitting in tonight is incredibly important for the state of your soul. 
See, we're gathering not just because this is what we do. We are gathering because this is how we survive in the world. We're gathering in order to remind ourselves each weekend the story of the beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We remind each other and we challenge each other to keep going because as soon, because if we don't, as soon as life chin checks us with things like temptation or ridicule or grief or loss, we'll be tempted to throw in the towel. You see, we need this. And and one of the reasons why I'm telling you this now, it's because we as a church during this season, really in the spring going into the summer, we want to make a concerted effort during this time to help people and to encourage people to gather back together physically. You see, we understand that uh, COVID has scattered us. And as now, as case counts begins to decrease and vaccinations begin to rise, we want to begin welcoming people back to NBC Arlington, back to the church. And so to this end tonight, I'm going to talk about the importance of this gathering, and I'm going to focus on two verses. I'm going to focus on Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And so if you have any of your Bibles, I hope you're there. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Here it is. And let us consider how to stir one another up towards or to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And this is the word of the Lord. And so tonight, honestly, this is where we're going. We're going to talk about why this gathering of the saints is vital for you to live the abundant life that Jesus came to offer. That's where we're going tonight. We're going to talk about why this gathering or how this gathering is one of God's tools to transform his people in three ways, socially, personally, and directionally. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. And I pray that in this sermon that you see the beauty of what God is doing each and every single week in this gathering. So here's my first point tonight. God uses this gathering to transform us socially to transform our relationships. So let me give you some brief context. Hebrews chapter 10, the writer is explaining how Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. See, this is a beautiful picture. We are able to now have access to the holy God of the universe because of Jesus' shed blood for you. And this is good news to cause our hearts to leap because if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, listen to me tonight, you can know in the depth of your soul and the depth of your entire being that there's a God in heaven who's not angry at you. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you can know that this God in heaven does not have issues with you and this God doesn't have it out for you because why? Jesus paid for your sin. It's a beautiful thing when you get it, that when God looks at you, he looks at you with the same approval, the same love, the same affection affection as he has when he looks at his only son, Jesus Christ. Do you get this? Listen, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary, we are under the gaze of a God that when he looks at us, his heart is bursting with love and compassion for you. Do you get this? Do you know this? Tonight, listen to me. If you are not a believer in Christ, I want you to hear this today, that God has made a way for you to be right with him. And and it is in what Jesus Christ has done for you. Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for your sin. 
So that if you trust and believe in his sacrifice on the cross for your sin, that he is Lord, that he's risen in power. If you say to him, God, I trust that you have provided a way for my salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I am no longer my own Lord. You are. Guess what? You are forgiven. And your sins can be removed from you as far as the east is from the west. This is good news tonight. But let me ask you a question. How was your life truly changed if you truly believed that the holy God of the universe, truly, when he looks at you, he looks at you with a heart bursting with love and compassion. How was your life truly changed? How was you changed if, if you knew that when God looks at you, he doesn't see a screw up or he doesn't see a failure or he doesn't see someone that he can't wait to get his hands on? What if you truly believe that when you stand before a holy God with confidence, like Hebrews 10, 19 tells us, what if you truly believe that when he looks at you, his heart can barely contain the love and joy and compassion that he has for you? Let me tell you how your life would change. It actually shows us in Hebrews 19, I mean Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. In this text, we're not going to go through all of these, but it shows us three things. And you, you see these three things um, really prefaced by the phrase, let us. In light of what Jesus Christ did in Calvary, in light of the fact that he's opened the doors for us to have access to a holy God, it says, let us in three areas. It says in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And really what that means right there is this. It says, now we have access to God. We can come before God free of guilt and shame. We can come to God confessing our sin, no longer having to expect condemnation, but we can experience his loving embrace. Two, we also see in verse 23, it says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises is faithful. You see, I love this fact. We trust, we can trust in the promises of God no matter if life gets hard. We can hold fast to them because he is faithful. When you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross, listen to me. You realize that the difficulties of life is not an indication that God changed his mind about you. I'm going to say that again because I think somebody needs to hear that today. The difficulty of life is not an indication that God changed his mind about you. His promises are faithful. His promises are true and certain. You can trust him. But tonight, that's not even a part of my sermon. We're going to focus on the last let us in verse 24. It says this. It says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. It's another response. Would you understand the grace and love of Jesus Christ? Would you understand that you are loved and approved of of the God of the universe? That the same God that flung galaxies into place knows you? that you realize that his approval is the only approval that truly, truly matters in this life? This verse tells us that you are hereby free to no longer be fixated on yourself anymore. Look at verse 24. It says, let us consider what? Yourself? No. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. The gospel frees us, listen to me today, to begin considering other people above ourselves. We are free to stop spending all of our time and mental space considering ourselves because this is what we do. In our unsanctified flesh, what we do is every single conversation or every single group of people or wherever we are, we walk around asking ourselves this question all the time, what about me? 
What about me? Every conversation needs to steer back to us. Every single gathering, we need to realize what's in it for us. What a depressing life to live. And what the gospel does, it frees us from no longer having to ask the question, what about me? And it frees you and it gives you the space because you've been, you, you've been taken care of. You've been satisfied by a holy God. You are full and now you no longer have to ask, what about me? Now you can ask, what about everybody else? What about you? I love this verse. We are now free to consider, which means to fix your mind upon, to constantly think about. It says this how to stir one another up to love and good works. I like that word stir up because it's a bit stronger in like the original language. Really, that word means to like provoke or to agitate. And you may look at that word, it may sound like, listen, this verse is encouraging me to do that. That is the last thing I wanna do. I do not wanna get on people's nerves. That's not what I wanna do, but let me explain to you what this really means. See, we tend to think that provoking someone is us intentionally trying to ruin someone else's peace, of annoying them. A quick story, I used to have a roommate before I got married, had a couple of roommates, but this one, uh, he, he, um, he was a guy that is like to do pranks all the time, right? That like, like to annoy us and, and pick at us and to watch us squirm a bit. So he would do random stuff at the house. Like this dude would do stuff that was like, it was just dumb. Like, he would go hide all of our left shoes <laughs> to watch us look around for him. Or he would do, like, dumb stuff like uh, pull out the HDMI cord in the back of the television and then just watch you from the corner of the room try to turn on the television. Like, like stuff like that that was, like, annoying. <laughs> and here's the thing. That's not what stir up means. It's not what provoke means. It's not, that, that, that's not what really what we think about um, in this verse, agitate. That's not what we're talking about. To stir up does not mean to annoy a peaceful person. Listen to me. To stir up in this verse means to shake a drowsy person. It means to shake a drowsy person. Like, have you ever been in a situation where, like, no matter, how, like, like, no matter what's happening in your life, if you're in a certain situation, you can't help but get drowsy? I have one, and that's long drives. Like, if I drive for two hours or more, doesn't matter if I got eight hours of sleep a night before or two hours, I'm automatically tired. Like, I'm not that dude that you want to drive with cross country. Because if I drive for two hours, listen, I'm looking to anybody in the car to take the wheel from me. I'm like, listen, Janique, Roman, Eli, one of y'all want to take the wheel? I'm tired. Whoever's awake, you can take the wheel because I'm about to fall asleep. And here's the thing. This text implies that all of us have a shared situation that will make us spiritually drowsy. And it is this. It's simply this. Life in this world. If you live life in this world for any amount of time, guess what? You will begin to become spiritually drowsy without the gathering of believers. This is what I mean by that. You see, we live in a culture in this world that runs counter to the culture of God's kingdom. And if we are constantly giving ourselves to the culture of this world, guess what? You'll get spiritually drowsy. Let me be more specific. Even to our area. The culture in our area of overwork will make you believe that your purpose is production and you'll go drowsy to God's actually, actual purpose for you, namely his glory. Here's another example. The culture of rage that we are currently in, everybody's arguing with each other on the news and online. The culture of rage will make you grow drowsy to the fact that God desires for his people to be peacemakers. I'll keep going. 
The culture of individualism all around us will make us drowsy to the fact that God desires for his people to love each other, especially and even when it's inconvenient. This world will make us spiritually drowsy to the ways of God. And here's the thing. God has given us an antidote to that. God has given us each other as a co-pilot to ride alongside of us through life to shake us so that we can remain alert to our calling. We are called to provoke, to gently shake each other, to love well and to do well, as this verse says, and we all need this. And one of the environments that God has given us in order to do this well is the gathering of the saints in the local church. This is why this gathering is a gift. It's no accident that this writer talks about stirring one another up towards love and good works. And then right after that, in verse 25, he mentions the gathering of believers. And this is why. Hear me today. You can't hope to consider people that you never see. You can't hope to consider people that you never see. And listen, our bent already is to simply consider ourselves or to simply consider the people in our immediate family or to simply uh, consider the people who are a lot like us in our stage of life. But when we gather together as the people of God, we don't control the gathering. It gives us an opportunity to consider people that we otherwise wouldn't. Look around the room. Who are the people that you know that you would not consider if you didn't regularly see them, don't stare. <laughs> don't make it obvious. Don't point. You're like, yeah, I wouldn't consider you. <laughs> but here's the thing. This is what I love about the gathering, of, uh, the gathering of the body of Christ, that God's mission is to save a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And it's in a gathering of people filled with opposites and misfits and unlikely comrades that will absolutely change the world. Think about it. Think about verse 24. What if Christian lawmakers and Christian unwed single mothers actually got together, actually considered each other, and thought, how do we encourage each other and stir each other up towards love and good deeds? Don't you think that that might change our attitude when it comes to certain policies? Let me keep going. What if the Christian elderly and the young kids thought this way? How do we stir each other up towards love and good deeds? Don't you think their perceptions about each other might change? Think about two weeks ago, I talked about families, and I talked about even singles in our church body as well. What might happen if we considered each other? Don't you think that the way that we might understand and think about family, don't you think that might change? Hear me today. The gathering of the saints is our opportunity each week to consider one another and to give witness to the beauty of God's kingdom. And this is why we're calling people back. Man, we're calling you back because we need, to we need the practice of seeing and considering how we might serve the brothers and sisters in our church body that we don't see regularly. We're responsible. But here's the thing. I also want you to think, as I, we call people to gather back, I also want you to think about how you might use your gifts in order to stir the body towards love and good works. You see, as we're opening back up, one of the opportunities that you have to train yourself to consider others is to simply serve. I'm going to shout out all the people, man, who serve constantly to help us have this gathering week in um, and, 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 and week out. 
We want to consider every single person that walks through our doors. We want to consider the newcomer. We want to consider the kids who also need to be discipled as well. We want to consider how we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to each other um, as well. And to that end, I want to put a link um, on the screen if we can. Um, During this period, uh, we really want um, every one of us to consider how we might serve in order for our gathering to truly consider uh, people that we otherwise might. Here's a number of opportunities that we have a need for. And if you have any questions about if you might be a good fit to serve in a certain area, um, I encourage you guys to hit me up, uh, email me. I would love to talk through how you might use your gifts to encourage the saints because this gathering is incredibly uh, important. So I'll leave it up for a little bit so people can take a picture of that link and feel free to check that out. And there's just one application of uh, this point that I want to make tonight. God uses this gathering to transform us socially, to no longer think about ourselves, but to think about and to consider each other, how we might stir each other on towards love and good works. But here's my second point tonight. Here it is. God is also using this gathering to transform us personally. Personally. Let me read verse 24 again. I'm going to keep going with it. It says, and let us consider how to stir one another to to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. I want to zoom in on that word habit. Because the reason why this writer is encouraging the church to gather together is because gathering is one of the habits that we need in order to be formed into followers of Jesus Christ. And even in 2021, there's been a revival of interests of, in habits in our day. There's a lot of books, like Charles Duhigg wrote a book called On Habits, and God and James Clear also wrote, wrote a book on habits. All these books are coming out about habits and because we're beginning to see that we are habit-forming creatures, and habits shape us. We're beginning to realize that we are nothing more than our habits, like we are what we repeatedly do. And in this text, we see actually this habit of not gathering with other believers being formed. You see, it's likely that these believers, uh, these believers that this writer is writing to, these believers that the book of Hebrews is addressed to, It is likely that these believers uh, probably stopped gathering because persecution got really hot. And they just thought, hey, listen, I'm going to stop gathering with the saints. I'm going to wait for it to die down a bit. But because we're habit-forming creatures, they never made it back. You see, a conscious decision on their part to not gather eventually became a habit. It became automatic. And I want to bring this home to us because, of course, during this pandemic, We haven't regularly gathered. Like even now, we gather every other week. We've encouraged each other to socially distance, and we encourage each other uh, to watch from home, and we've done that out of an abundance of caution. However, during this period, we feel that it's right and it's good to encourage our people to begin gathering once again, to come back and join us. Because this gathering... It's not one that we should forsake. It is one of the tools that God desires to use in your life to transform us because your habits, again, shape you. We are shaped by our habits. See, I I love this quote by this author named Justin Whitmill Early. He wrote a book called The Common Rule. If you have a chance to read this book, I highly recommend it. One of the best books I read last year. He said this about habits. He said, we have a common problem. 
By ignoring the way habits shape us, we've assimilated to a hidden rule of life, the American rule of life. This rigorous program of habits form us in all the anxiety, depression, consumerism, injustice, and vanity that are so typical in the contemporary American life. Then he says this, we desperately need a set of counterformative practices to become the lovers of God and neighbor that we were created to be. And I'm here to tell you that one of the counterformative practices to help us fight against what he calls the American rule of life is gathering with the saints regularly. Let's be clear. I'm not claiming that if you simply go to church that you will necessarily be transformed. That's not what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. That if we actually hope to be transformed by the Spirit of God, we would do well to place ourselves in the paths that the Spirit has said that, that, that He moves. And one of those places that the Spirit has determined that He moves is the gathering of the saints. I'll give you an analogy. A couple of years ago, I went out with a dude named Caleb Royer. A lot of you guys uh, know him. I went out on a sailboat with this dude. I had never been on a sailboat before. Man, I just thought we was gonna go ahead and just gingerly float through uh, on, on the Potomac. But as soon as we got in the boat, the work started. I didn't do much work because I didn't know what I was doing, but he was doing all the work. He was raising sails, lowering sails, moving sails around. I felt bad that I couldn't help, but, uh, but I was just chilling. And so um, I just realized, man, that like he's doing all this work and I realized that, that no, it's not his work that's causing the boat to move. <laughs> It's the wind that causes the boat to move. Like all the work of raising the sails and all, all, the, all that work doesn't necessarily cause the boat to move. It's when the sail catches the wind that, sh- that, that shoots the boat off. And the reason why I share that is this, is because similarly, one of the ways in which we raise the sails in our lives in order to be transformed is the habit of gathering together. Listen, our spiritual lives are stunted when we forsake the gathering of believers, and yet our growth is ultimately the work of the Spirit. When we see this, when we gather together, it's one of the many ways that we raise the sails in our lives in order to catch the transforming power of the Spirit. It's putting ourselves in the path of the Spirit so that He might move. This is one of the reasons why we don't give up on this. But let me give a brief caveat. Let me say something here. We often overestimate what one gathering will do, and we underestimate what a thousand gatherings will do. What do I mean by that? We often expect to come to church and have this incredibly uh, transformative experience that will change us in a moment, and that might happen but more likely you're not gonna be changed by one gathering, but by many. It's the ongoing practice of singing praises to God and hearing him speak through his word that will transform us. I love how one author put it. He said it this way. It's not the one sermon that changes your life, but the thousand sermons you hear over a decade. It's not the one worship experience that forms you, but it's the weekly rhythm of refocusing your heart and mind on the God who made you as you praise the Savior who redeemed you and since the Spirit who indwells in you. Let me give you, let me summarize all of this. Do not underestimate the cumulative effect of many ordinary Sundays. Don't underestimate that. 
God is shaping us, even now as we hear his word preached and we sing his word, even when we don't feel it. And with that said, I want to shout out the many people that serve us and help us sing the word together and hear the word preached. Man, I love G, man, because I love turning him up and turning me down in the speaker so that we'll all stay on key. Because if y'all just follow my voice, it wouldn't happen. And so I appreciate the band up here keeping us on key and helping us sing every single week. Man, I appreciate uh, Paul and Christian in the back. Every single time we have service, they're running sound and they're, and, and, they're, um, and they're doing the slides. Like this stuff doesn't just happen. Like they're helping us sing and they're helping us form these habits of gathering together in order to hear the word preached and to sing. And those are also opportunities that you can serve in. And so mclainbiblechurch.org slash serve is uh, the link where you can figure out how to serve there. But the big point I'm trying to make is like, let us not give up this gathering. The habit of gathering together is doing much more in you than you can see in any given moment. But here's my last point tonight. This is the shorter one. And so Ben could come back out. G could come back out. Here's my last point. The gathering together as the people of God transforms us not only personally and socially, but directionally. What do I mean by that? I'm going to read the whole passage. Here it is. It says, And let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, see, I I love this because we gather together, we're considering each other, we're provoking each other towards love and good deeds, and we're doing all of this in light of what this author calls the day. The day is drawing near. And it's likely what the writer of Hebrews meant was the second coming of Jesus Christ. Guys, one of the things that this gathering does that is so helpful and so, so important for your soul, it helps you remember where your hope should lie. It helps you remember where your hope should lie, that our ultimate hope should be in Jesus and his return. And the writer is saying, we are doing all of this. We're doing all of this work. We're gathering together because the day is fastly approaching. Wake up. Stop being drowsy. We have a shared hope. Let's rejoice in that together. I'll put it this way. The direction of your life is determined by whatever is your ultimate hope. What do you long for? What do you hope for? What keeps you up at night because you were so eager to get this thing? You're like, man, if I don't get this thing, man, my life isn't even worth living. I want this. Well, what are your hopes and what are your longings? Think about that. And I want you to think about this. Every group of people that you find yourself among is guided by hopes and longings. See, I'll bet it is likely that when you find yourself at work, you find yourselves among a people whose hopes and longings are, are likely wrapped up in success. It's likely when you find yourselves among friends in our area that your hopes and, their hopes and longings are wrapped up in pursuing a certain status or maybe even a spouse or more square footage. I don't know. But hear me today. Your, our hopes and our longings are contagious are contagious. Whatever the hopes and dreams are of the people around you, sooner or later, those hopes and dreams are going to become, uh, those hopes and dreams of the people around you are going to become your hopes and dreams. I mean, I've thought about this. 
And I thought about how I can trace all the things that I desperately wanted in life to the people that I was around in any given moment. And I remember early in my life, I wanted to be a, don't laugh, I wanted to be a pro basketball player. And I thought back, why was that? It's because everybody on my block had hoop dreams. Like, no matter that I was the shortest thing on the block, I wanted to play like Michael Jordan. That was what I wanted. Not only that, when I was in school, man, we all wanted to date a particular girl because everybody else wanted to date a particular girl. We, I wanted a particular career as I got older because I saw other people with that career and how they were well thought of. I wanted a certain kind of house with a certain square footage because somebody else had that too. And listen, as I trace back how all of my hopes and longings came to be, I realized two things. Here's the first thing, hope is contagious. Now here's the second thing. We tend to catch hopes and longings that would always leave us wanting more. None of the hopes and longings that I have caught from people around me like, uh, ultimately uh, left me satisfied. And every single day, you are tempted wherever you walk, whether that's work or uh, wh- wherever you are, you are tempted to put your hopes and longings where they shouldn't be. And this is why this gathering is important, because the weekly gathering of the saints is a telescope for your soul. When we gather to sing about Jesus and we gather to hear him speak to us and we gather to take the Lord's Supper, we are raising the sails so that Jesus will be made bigger in our lives. He is bigger than we think he is. And this gathering enlarges our view of him and shrinks all the small hopes and dreams that our world gives us from week to week. And so all this to say, guys, I pray that we do not forsake this gathering. This is important for your soul, for your friends, for your coworkers. Bring them here and continue as you come to consider how to stir each other up towards love and good deeds. So I want to take a moment to pray, and then we want to take a moment to remember uh, the broken body and the shared blood of Jesus Christ. And so let's pray together tonight. Uh, Father, we love you, and we are incredibly grateful that you have given us the gift of the gathered people of God. We need this. We need this gathering to recalibrate our heart. Every single week, we enter into a world and we are hoping that we have influence on it. And we see that happening throughout all the world. But for many of us, we are entering into our world after we leave these gatherings. And to be completely honest, the world is having more of an influence on us than we on it. So we appreciate this gift of this gathering, opportunity for us to reset, to recalibrate our hopes and longings. It's an opportunity for us to form good spiritual habits. And it's an opportunity for us to get into the practice of not asking the question, what about me? But what about the people around me? Because you are using this gathering in order to transform the world. You are using this gathering in order to give witness to our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for using us so weak and feeble, so easily distracted in order to show the great love that we're to have for you. Help us, Father. Help us to gather and to consider each other. Even as we leave tonight, Father, I pray that our hopes and dreams aren't tied up in what other people might do for us. God, I pray that we leave here looking around for people that we might stir towards love and good deeds. Maybe consider that. 
It might be just a simple encouraging word. It might be a simple kind act. It might be a simple nudge in the right direction. Father, help us to think about that because this is what you called us to. And we love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.